You're listening to the Going Offsides podcast. Your home for lacrosse news, stories, and everything in between. All right, Ryan, we're back here, and uh, let's just dive right into it because, you know, you're a busy guy. I'm a busy guy. And uh, let's start off with our game of the weekend, or of the week, I should say. And and I'm going to roll with, I believe it was the U18 Canada versus U.S field lacrosse game in which i think with under two minutes left uh it was four under four minutes left the canadians blew a 12-8 lead and ended up losing the game because of the exceptional play of the usa fogo so 12 to 8 rolling into the end of the game and absolutely blew that so prop props to usa reminiscent reminiscent of the u19 championships um uh, when um, some of those guys that run that U19 team were, were playing this past weekend for the senior team, which was really awesome to see, but reminiscent of that U19 championship game from years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll put a link to the video clip in the art, in the article, but just crazy finish to the game. And uh, I'll let, what, what was your game of the weekend? My game of the weekend was actually, um, I'm going to go with the, the U.S. senior team playing UVA. Uh, to kind of close out the weekend, I um, I had almost given up on the game um, because of the start, but um, you know USA jumped out to a to a quick lead. I think it was five one after the first quarter, and I was like, oh, you know, if Virginia doesn't get it together, it, it, this can be a long Sunday for them. Um, but they actually did, and it ended up being um, you know an eight seven game. I thought it was great. I thought it was a really good back and forth going into the second half. Um, you know, some of the takeaways are is that, you know, Grant Amon and Mac O'Keefe, um, I, I think, you know, the, the, the coaching staff would be foolish not to, not to hedge some bets that those two guys are going to be, um, a fantastic duo come, you know, 2023 for the world games. Um, I mean, it's like they, it's like they picked up where they left off, um, at, uh, Penn state, but I was really, uh, and I was really impressed with Jack Rowlett who, I mean, to be quite honest, you know, he, he sealed the deal for, um, us, uh, with a takeaway check, you know, at the very end, um, to kind of seal the deal for him. So, I mean, it was a great game. I, I had a, I had a blast watching it. And I think, you know, UVA is going to be a tough out. You know, they always are every year. But I think this year, you know, more so than in years past, you know, I mean, I think more so than that Duke team that was coming off of a repeat and even those Syracuse teams, like there's a legitimate chance that, you know, UVA could go three in a row, um, you know, and, and kind yeah, of kind of reach, you know, legendary status with those Princeton teams of the late 90s and the Syracuse teams of the late 80s. Um, you know, and I think they have a goalie of the future on their hands with, um, I believe, Matty Noon. Um, I thought he was he was excellent early in the game. You know, he did have that one own goal um, against the U.S. senior team. But, man, I, I think that kid's going to be lights out for them in the future. You know, who knows if he'll be the starter this year. But I, I think they're, you know, the future is definitely bright in the cage for um, UVA. Well, and in turn, you know, assuming he is American, USA as well in the future. So we'll oh, see. Yeah. And the USA goalie staff is stacked. So that says a lot. So we'll, we'll see where that takes us. Now, a topic that we wanted to kind of get into today, you and I had been joking about it, but uh, it hasn't really hit the news the way that I thought it would in the sports world, at least. And that is that LSU has announced that it's going to terminate the contract of Ed Orgeron at the end of the season. 
And this is interesting for a lot of reasons. So A, he's the second highest paid coach in college football. B, he just won you a national championship. And, 21 months ago. And what's extra crazy about that is usually even in the worst of situations, that buys you like four to five years of freedom and kind of spotty play. They're three and three and just came off a victory when this was announced. So that, that struck me as interesting as well. They didn't do it. Yeah. They didn't do it after a loss. They did it after a win that brought them back to 500. Now, granted, this is not, no one at LSU is happy at three and three, but you know, in the history of coach firings and termination, of contract usually that happens after a big bad loss or at the end of a season here we're doing it after a win a ranked win and halfway through the season so it's interesting for a lot of reasons and a lot of people are upset not because he's being fired but because they're now going to have to pay him just under 17 million dollars to do absolutely nothing and five years yeah. And you and I were talking about this. Has this gotten kind of out of control? And so for context, I'm not going to read all of them, but the, the top 10 coaches for college football make over $6 million a year. And the lowest paid coach makes 430 grand a year at the, at the division one level. And, and that is Terry Bowden at UL Monroe which, you know, understandable. But what's crazy to me is that, you know, Nick Saban, sure, he, he generates a lot of income for the university. He wins consistently, and he's paid $9.75 million. His buyout is over double what Ed Orgeron's is. But we were talking about this this morning on, on our drives to work. Is this too much? Like, I get it. You, you generate a lot of money for the school. You do everything you're supposed to do. But could we theoretically have a cap that is more than comfortable for these coaches? Like for instance, Jim Harbaugh took a pay cut and he used to be the fourth highest paid coach. And now he's the 32nd highest paid coach at $4 million. I don't think a coach is going to stop coaching. If we say, Hey, sorry, across the country, the the cap for, for a D one football coach is $4 million or $3 million. And I don't care if you give every single cent that you saved on that salary to the assistant coaches, but I just think that these buyouts are kind of crazy. Jimbo Fisher's buyout is $95 million. I mean, that's job security for sure, but I can't be the only one that thinks it's crazy that if a coach isn't doing his job well and needs to get fired for whatever reason, that he's going to get paid $95 million. Now, again, those buyouts are not, you know, if you get fired for cause for doing something illegal, you don't get your buyout, but that's still like, if you lose three straight seasons, you shouldn't get paid a hundred million dollars to do nothing. Well, and, I and, mean, and <laughs> it's, um, well, here's the thing, man. Um, it's happening because people let it happen. Um, you know, to be quite honest, kudos to the sports agents um, mm-hmm. for getting their people th- that money. 
Um, you know, part of it is, you know, this is kind of what sports has become. And, you know, within the next two months, we'll probably get some clarification from the NCAA on what the future of college sports at that level will look like. Um, you know, I've, there's a lot of speculation that kind of, you know, big time football is going to kind of end up being its own thing. And, you know, the in the next you know two to three months, we're going to end up seeing um, a, a pretty big change in terms of what the NCAA is going to look like, what big time college football is going to look like. So it's going to be really interesting to, to kind of see how things take place. And part of the reason, um, you know, that's happening is because there's just so much money involved at both the, the football and basketball levels at, 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 that, at those levels. Um, it's kind of crazy to see, but I mean, you know, it's, it's a victim of circumstance. I mean, you know, you, with everything that's going on, um, you know, Jimbo Fisher's buyout is so big because, you know, that's what he demanded at the time. Like he got out of Florida State at probably, you know, the height or as close to the height of his popularity was. Um, yeah. So that's why he commanded that big of a buyout. Well, listen, um, I don't blame these coaches at, at no, all. Not at it's all. not on them. And I, I respect the schools that say, you know what, we do want to win. But, you know, we can win paying a coach four million dollars or whatever it exactly may be. Right. And you've got plenty of amazing coaches out there that aren't making this obscene. I mean, it's all obscene, right, to, to normal people. But and I'm fully aware that these guys bring in and generate a lot of revenue for the programs. But as I taught my class the other day, less than 10 percent of Division One universities are making money on athletics. So yeah, very, very few are very few are. They all count on those dollars that come in, um, you know, especially on the lower levels, man. And here's the thing. It's insane to see just how much some of these schools are paying, like, you know, how much in Alabama plays a Mercer to play them every single year. Yeah. You know, some of those game checks are subsidizing the rest of their athletic departments. Yep. And I've seen it between a big 10 school scrimmaging and NAI school in an exhibition preseason and basketball, they pay enough money to pretty much cover the budget of that program for a year or two with mm -hmm. one game. And, and that's why that game only happens every four years because they all take a turn trying to get that game. And I, I just think we're in a place now, and this is just like every, you know, head coaches of division one football programs, especially in the power five are CEOs. And they're generating money for the school via football. Now, a lot of that money that they generate is used to subsidize all the other sports that are not profitable. And, and there's a benefit to that. But if you were to look at any division one budget and say, where could we cut expenses the most, it would be in salaries. And it's just, you know, I, I don't think, I'm, this is no means some kind of socialist soapbox, but I think that every coach in America would still be pretty pumped making $4 million a year and putting some of that rest of that money either in because they're going to have to find some money for these, these students, these student athletes. And I mean, uh, presuming that some changes happen that we foresee. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a old school way of doing things. And I think that these buyouts do have to get under control because a hundred million dollars, you, you can't ever fire Jimbo Fisher, even if he's just turns into the late, I mean, he won't, but even if he turned into the laziest below he 500 might. coach, he, he won't dude. He, he's just not capable. Like it's not in him to just be terrible on purpose. 
But my point is you'd have to pay them a lot of money to leave. And I don't think that's worth it. I don't, I just think it's kind of obscene. Well, I mean, you know, this is why this is where now, you know, part of the reason that we're, you know, I don't want to say we're having this conversation, but, you know, this whole NIL and, you know, having kids be able to benefit and profit off of their name, image and likeness. Part of the reason that this is coming about was because these coaching salaries got so upside down in these buyouts because these guys are making insane amounts of money. Um, and you know, yes, for, you know, and, and you know, there are coaches that are doing phenomenal jobs, but like at the end of the day, it's the players that are out on the field that are, you know, right. You know, risking and the disparity their grew and grew and grew that the, the players were getting the exact same things year in and year out. And the coaches were taking home millions upon millions of dollars. And it just created a larger and larger divide. And yeah, like, Hey, it's like, you know, gone are the, like, you know, here's the thing, you know, before the season ever starts, like, you know, Nick Saban is famous for taking his freshman and his team out to the lake house for him. You know, kids walk in that house and they're like, yeah, this is really nice. This is great. Coach Saban's a great guy, but like, look at everything that he has. And, you know, we're, we're struggling to, you know, to, to, to eat, you know, on a Saturday night when the cafeteria is closed because we got no money and we can't get a job. 100%. And, and again, that's not on Nick Saban, right? Like he didn't no. create that system. It's a byproduct the, of the system. Well, it's the byproduct of the, the, the archaic rules that the NCAA has had in place for, you know, um, for as long as they've been in existence. You know, part of the problem um, and, and hopefully the solution will come and it will be better is, you know, you know, basically what, you know, the NCAA has done or lack of what they've done in the last, you know, 20 years. Yeah, and I am interested to see if this does happen, where we do get this breakaway of the, so speak, the football, you know, goes into its own division. It should be very interesting. One of my, we were talking about professional sports today in one of my classes, and somebody asked, why do we not have a G League or a developmental league or a second tier to the NFL? And I looked at him, and I said, as it stands. That is the exact purpose of college football at the division yeah. one level. And, and until NFL, something and NFL, changes, yeah. the it NFL will remain won't let that, that happen. Yeah. And the NFL, it has to come from the NFL, like how major league baseball does it. You know? Yeah. Because there are a few sports where you have a direct um, with the MILB. I mean, it's all run through major league baseball. Cause yeah, there, there's few sports that have a direct path from college to professional sports. Baseball is not the most direct path. Hockey is certainly not the most direct path. Basketball is, and it's such a sham that you have to go to school for a year. And football is like the one, and it's still not even that much better than basketball because it's still a limited commitment to school. It's just a sham. It's just just window dressing, right? Go to college because it's the right thing to do. Play for a couple years, then you can go pro. Yeah, they don't, they don't care if you graduate. They they never have and they never will. It's a sham. It's just a way to keep uh, a new level of talented kids coming into the league. And if they don't make it, guess what? They're probably not going back to school on scholarship because it's over. Those days are gone. They need to remove stuff. And, and they've done a good job with this. I think the NBA did it where you can put your name in, be evaluated, and then yeah, you, can, you could go. You can you go can undeclare the for the draft. Yep. Yep. And I think that's, that's the best so thing, smart. One of the best things. Yeah. It's one of the best things that they ever did. Cause a couple of kids, a couple, you know, more than a couple of people have done that. You know, I think there was the one guy at Duke who did it. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think the NFL cared at all about 
academics, which they don't, but if they did, they would allow the same thing. If you don't get drafted, you can, you have like a week after the draft to basically return to school or else you have to go through free agency. And I think that would open up a lot of people's eyes. Like, Hey, I know because they do get graded. They do get advised before they declare for the NFL draft. But again, you never know what's going to happen. And if you don't get drafted, you should be able to head back in. And, and there's a lot of little things that can be done like that to not only that would strengthen the college game, but it's also what's best for the kids. Yeah. So. Well, and you're talking about the NFL. Let's talk about a guy who I guarantee you he's going to end up in training camp with somebody. Um, but Bill Belichick and Harbaugh are probably salivating right now <laughs> at the idea of uh, of Jared Bernhardt. Um, the, you know, you know, we used to watch on rivals, all these guys get recruited and it was the first time I'd seen the term, you know, 20 years ago, the term athlete. I was like, why, what is an athlete? What position does an athlete play? And that's the point is they don't, they don't play as, you know, they're recruited to be an athlete. They'll find out what position they are later. And I mean, there are some highlights, which I'll throw in the, the post online of Jared Bernhardt, just doing some outright, just crazy things in this game. And I mean, he just led his team. For those of you who don't know, Jared Bernhardt, who's the Heisman tr- or the, <laughs> almost, Omar, Tom, I almost baby. did it. The Heisman trophy of lacrosse. God, like you crucified for that. The Twarton trophy winner, which means he was the best player in college lacrosse. He went to Ferris state, which is a division two school in Michigan, put to play football and to play quarterback. And this is his second time. Heading to Ferris State, he did start there in the fall before COVID, and then ended up, you know, in the national championship for lacrosse. But he went back. He is now the quarterback. He has started many games. I think there was a little bit of an injury in the in the middle somewhere, but essentially, yeah. they were the number two team in the country. Is is who he's quarterbacking, and they played the number one team in the country on Saturday night, and he led his team to a victory. And he is now, I'm sure if they haven't come out yet, they are now the number one team in the country. So imagine you are basically the best lacrosse player in the country outside of Charlotte North. And you are also the quarterback of a number one ranked division two football team. And you haven't played meaningful football since high school. That just screams athleticism. It screams once in a lifetime or a generational athlete, I should say. And I mean, he just looks different out on that field compared to everybody else. Cause he's a, he's a product of a D one weight room for several years, probably being bullied by two very athletic brothers, you know, grew up in a football family. His, his dad was an assistant coach for the Texans. I do believe. Yep. He was involved and, in the, in the organization there. Yep. Yeah. And you know, he was a high school option quarterback with, with a little bit of an arm and, and his stats are kind of crazy man like there there's definitely a guy out there with a creative enough mind and we both know like you mentioned two guys that would definitely be on that list with Harbaugh and uh Belichick so who knows where he might end up but uh I'm pretty excited to see if he does get a shot um, and and I don't want to I don't I'm not you know you don't want to put those unfair expectations on people or anything but you know he reminds me a little bit you know he's a he's a bigger um version of Julian Edelman because Julian Edelman was a was a quarterback coming out of Kent State similar style quarterback 
um, you know, and then obviously turned into quite a receiver in the NFL. So, I mean, that might be on his path. I mean, uh, I could see it, right? So right now he he's played in four games of the six. He is 32 for 40 passing with five TDs and two touchdowns. He also has 49 rush attempts for 456 yards. He's averaging nine yards a carry and has six rushing touchdowns. His longest rush was 81 yards. Yeah. The guy is an athlete in every sense of the word. So I, I am very excited. A bit of crossover here. We always have those guys every year that we root for in the lacrosse world that you know are taking their shot in football. And a lot of people didn't know what to make of it, him going to play football when he was, you know, basically the number one most hyped lacrosse player coming out of college. Yeah. You know, I know he got drafted to the PLL as a Justin Case pick. And, uh, you know, he, he's making it work in football. And I'm glad. I thought when he got injured, I wasn't sure if it was going to be the end of his season, but clearly not because he just came through in the clutch. So congrats to Jared Bernhardt. You know, former Maryland Twarton Trophy winner, current starting quarterback of the number one team in Division Two. Pretty exciting stuff. That's good stuff, man. It's a great story. Well, check out our uh, podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, but also check out the article that's associated with the podcast at fivestarnews.com. And also make sure to get that early access. Sign up for the app. And, yeah, uh, what a PS5. Yeah, win a PS5. I know we're giving away tickets to the Final Four. There's all sorts of things that you can win. So get it, get over there, fivestarnews.com. Check it out. Just put your email in. You know, you'll be on early access. You get to download the app. It, it's no skin off your back, and you can win some very expensive gifts. So go ahead and uh, go ahead and do that as, as fast as possible. I'll wait for you to do it right now. Great job. And, uh, and, and we'll catch you next week. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe, give us a review, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Going Offsides.